0: and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light
1: of his glory and grace welcome everybody to another episode of trans regret snoopy presents the bible i have a very special guest with me today Tom Saxon is here to speak with me about Matthew one and two the story of the nativity uh the story of Christmas welcome Tom
2: hey thanks for having me again excited to be here
1: i uh, I so enjoyed our first conversation on the show we talked about James a very righteous passage and uh and something that was um I think a really great conversation and and so you know it's the time of year where uh People of all kinds are celebrating Christmas, and Christians specifically uh, reflect on what that actually means while the rest of our culture kind of reflects on what kind of gifts they're going to buy and get for each other. So uh, with that in mind, uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what you've been involved with since the last time that you, uh, you and I spoke? Oh
2: well, I mean, uh, you know, um really just uh doing my podcast <laughs> <every> <laughs> week. Those that uh might not be familiar, uh one third or one fourth now of uh Triple A AAA Workers Party Podcast. And uh yeah, check that out if you haven't and if you have, I apologize for that up front. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I enjoyed our discussion last time too. I, it's, it's not often, uh, you know, when you kind of do this for a living and you get on here and, you know, just be ridiculous, uh, a couple of times a week. It, it's kind of fun to, to get to do this in sort of a, a substantive way. And, uh, yeah, I really just enjoyed that conversation last time with you and it was uh it was cool. I need to I need to uh come to the Bible study more often.
1: <laughs> we all get to chat about uh you know the good book, which I think is a worthwhile venture. You know, the podcast itself isn't the most studious thing in the world. While well, I've tried to, you know, improve my my uh, my chops when it comes to Bible <laughs> study, uh I'm frequently outmatched by the people that I have discussions with on the Patreons. <laughs> so, that's good though. That's good. Yeah, it is. And, uh, it's, uh, I've got the right, I've got the right uh, people listening to the show. If, um, if they can, if they can tell me when I'm wrong, right. Uh, I really really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. It's um, helpful. So, yeah. Um, the, uh, the idea behind this episode was to, to kind of, to, to talk a little bit about Matthew 1 and 2, which is a lot of uh, text to discuss. And it starts with a very dry chunk of the um, genealogy of Jesus and uh, and talk a little bit about the birth of Jesus, um, the, the connection that Jesus and Mary and Joseph had with John the Baptist and his parents. But uh, before we dive right into that text... What was Christmas like when you were growing up? You know it's like I, you know I was kind of mentioned before we got rolling here, but
2: uh, my mom like would read the Christmas story either from Matthew or Luke every year just before we would open gifts, and it was one of those things where it's kind of like you know saying grace before dinner or something, you know you're just like, okay, come on." let's let's get to let's get to the main event here, you know what I mean, and I had never really thought much about the Christmas story other than just you know uh you know you hear the songs about the three wise men and all this kind of stuff, and you know the broad strokes, but I had never really gotten the scripture mm-hmm. ever really to to you know uh, plenty of times with the crucifixion and some of the other you know bigger things here, but not really uh the origin story of Christ here. And I'm excited to, uh, sort of, uh, you know, break my maiden here with you. So, I'm
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny because of... I think a lot of people that grew up Christian in whatever, um, denomination that might be had a kind of a, a storybook, like a, like a children's book idea of what was happening at the time and, and how it all played out right in reality were presented with a couple of different kinds of depictions of uh of what occurred uh the details aren't disparate necessarily but there are some uh details that that vary a little bit and um and it's really interesting to me to see how something like the gospel of Matthew which begins with the genealogy of Christ beginning with David and Abraham and um another gospel that begins with a genealogy like Luke yeah it's like
2: is it is uh does Luke start with Solomon, or I, what's the
1: distinction there? I can't remember. Uh, um, I believe that it was. I can't. I can't remember. I, I just. I think it was Luke's. I think Luke started with.
2: You know, when I was a kid, it was like, oh, and so and so begat so and so begat. You know, it was almost like a joke, but I didn't realize what they were doing was was a genealogy tracing. You know Jesus's origins back to you know, the house of David and,
1: and, and Abraham. that is, so, yeah. it was Luke. It's just in Luke three. It's not where you would think that it would be. And the genealogy actually traces backwards and it winds up with Adam. And Luke is a, is right. a gospel That's that right. focuses itself exe- itself more towards uh, a gen, a Gentile audience where Matthew is a very, uh, a very like Jewish gospel that, that hinges itself on a lot of what was understood to be like, um, Jewish thought at the time. Mm, yeah. And that's why you see a lot more scripture quoted there, too. Uh, I just think it's really interesting. I'm obviously not, we're not going to read through the genealogy. <laughs> I can't pronounce half of these names. I don't know if you can. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> It'd be very embarrassing for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean I frequently embarrass myself on the show when I try to pronounce names like Zerubbabel because I need to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to go back and listen to someone else saying it before I can say for sure, like, oh, oh that is how you say that. There's we no do way. need to bring some of these names back though. Uh I mean Jecon- Jeconiah or Jaconia? Love
2: yeah. that name. Yeah. Aminadab, <laughs> I mean, Dab beget Nassen and Nason
1: beget Sam. I, I mean, is the there a more is there like a more um Like a more powerful sounding name than Boaz? No, it's tough. It's so
0: so,
1: tough. (laughs) Boaz means business. (laughs) (laughs) I think Boaz like carries a chain or something. You know, this this guy does (laughs) not mess around. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Oh, man.
2: Yeah, so there's all this genealogy. It's You know, I... So... Ah, something i've never been clear on and i've never really asked any of my jewish friends this but it like the idea that you can trace like lineage back to you know the house of david or abraham or solomon or or, or whatever the case may be is that um something that jewish folks like there's like a, it's it's not like a like a um I'm trying to think what would be like the equiv the gentile equivalent, but like that is like a like is that like a real thing that people try to like a real genealogy that Jewish folks do or is it or is it or is some of this stuff like more like um, almost a mythology or something like that? You know, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Well, I'd be I think curious it's, to know.
1: Yeah, it's I think that there was a a genuine. And serious, like, um, patriarchal lineage for people. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the effort here to establish the genealogy of Jesus wasn't to say, well, yeah, so Jesus came from all these people. Because obviously, like, who, who Jesus, uh, who led to, to Joseph doesn't really matter when it was God who right. fathered Jesus, right? Right. If this right. whole lineage leads to Joseph, then why would it be then? That you know it was essential that it was traced back to David, but I think more, uh, more than the specifics of the genealogy, it seems to me like it had more to do with uh, establishing a line that traces back to a uh, in 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 almost like a, a meta- not a metaphorical way, but in like a um, a spiritual way, back to a spiritual father of the church, Abraham, right? right? So it uh it you know there are a lot of names in here that you know obviously I'm sure in some people some people have tried to establish this direct lineage and there I've seen some like um some charts of uh of every name in all the the, the gospels that link it all together that right. that point out look at all of these um look at all these people look at how they line up it's all real it all happened exactly the way that it's said but um but to me, I think it speaks more to Matthew's effort to link Jesus to David is to link Jesus to the passages in which the Old Testament refers to a son of David or a one of the line of David and Abraham right, that right. would become the Messiah that would come back to um, that that would come back to to be a savior for the people.
2: Right. So this is this is like. Um... Yeah, this is like Matthew's attempt or the writer's attempt to, yeah, sort of uh line up Christ's birth with like the prophecies from the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, you know, and and um there are there are some women mentioned in this in this passage too, in in this genealogy, which typically, even though now in the in sort of the, the Jewish tradition, the the Jewishness of someone his, Matrilineal, right? The, yeah, it's it's passed yeah. down through the mother. Uh, it's obvious at this time that that was not the case. Yeah, that it was, uh, it was all passed down through through uh, the father, which you know is all the more puzzling than when we lead to Joseph and then it says Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Je- of whom Jesus is born. Right, right. So yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, it it would be hard. I, i think to put yourself in uh, the shoes of anyone at this particular time and place but the um the self-consciousness which with joseph deals with this situation the uh the way that he kind of tries to quietly uh, quietly divorce Mary and say, "Like, look, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to drag your name through the mud. But like, you're pregnant from somebody else, and obviously this cannot work for me. So I need to back away from this situation." That it took an angel to to come to Joseph and say, uh, "Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." That's in um, Matthew chapter one, verse twenty. He needed a literal holy entity to be like, you're not, like, you're not being cucked here. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, man, listen, I mean, I'm
2: going to, have to take this on faith, but I'm still having a hard time with this.
1: There is a... Um, in a way, there's like a universal concern with like love and cheating that that the Bible echoes in such a bizarre way. We never even think about the teachings of the of biblical wisdom discussing something that feels like such a modern concern, like such a um such a um something that people get hung up on so much now uh but yeah, I mean, there's Joseph saying, "Oh boy, here we go." <laughs> How
2: I explain this to the fellas, you know? Yeah,
0: right. (laughs) Yeah,
2: she said she was a virgin. Listen, an angel came to me and said it was cool. So I'm sure, man.
1: (laughs) Now, the um, there is a passage quoted right in uh, in verse 23. It says, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." This was a passage from Isaiah. Seven that dealt with a different historical kind of situation. It didn't directly speak to what was happening with Jesus, but um, revelations and prophecies like this oftentimes don't relate directly to the immediate situation and nothing else. The argument that Matthew is making, and that other people make when they quote, prophecy in, in later parts of the new Testament is yes, there was a, an immediate, uh, ramification or immediate meaning to this prophecy. And then there was the ultimate meaning to this prophecy. So this passage that's quoted in here from Isaiah seven does indeed say the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What's an important thing to note is in the original texts, uh, the word there wasn't virgin; it was young woman. And um, the the reason why uh, folks who were writing the New Testament gospels used the the word virgin there was because they were they were drawing on their old scripture from the Septuagint, which was um, sh- written into Greek by Hebrew scholars, but ultimately had already been kind of changed and 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 um, and transmuted a little bit and sort of converted a little bit. So the use of virgin has always been controversial. Um, The use of virgin, as far as the virgin birth, has always been one that's been um, up for debate,
2: up for argument. Is that, uh, and and I'm asking this generally because I don't know, is that a source of, like, like, is there sort of any, like... Sign- like let's let's say that you know the translation wasn't nearly as fuzzy, and there was no sort of um you know uh, presentation of Mary as a virgin would that have mattered in any way shape or form like or or like you know you always hear the virgin birth as sort of um you know this miracle or some sort of cosmic sign or whatever you know it's like you know, pointing to, but like when the prophecies are like, he was born of a virgin. So you're saying that like that, that translation is not necessarily as like straightforward. Right. So it's yeah, like, what, it's possible what that Mary was
1: not a virgin. It seems, um it seems very possible, okay. uh, you know, but how important that is to somebody, I guess is kind of up to their own, determination. Because right. this argument, uh, this discussion about translation and and the use of young woman versus virgin for Mary has gone back more than a thousand years. It, this is not a new argument. This is not something that progressive Christians have suddenly like dug up and been like, ha ha, I told you, you were wrong about this. Yeah, There were people that argued uh, dating back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that uh, that Jesus was in fact adopted as the Son of God when John the Baptist uh baptized him. That there were people that said that that um that Jesus was turned into the Son of God, like not born as the, the Son of God. Symbolic
2: gesture, exactly. Kept in water.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's so interesting to me because I grew up, and this again is the storybook version of of Christmas, that I always knew that it was, it was a magical birth, that um which is it, it's it's almost in my mind kind of funny that I I never really even questioned it um, when I even when I learned that babies weren't born from like storks dropping right, babies right. down chimneys or whatever the hell they did uh, that in in reality uh, th- there has there has been a discussion about this particular issue for a very long time and yeah. uh, and and it's it's very possible that that Jesus wasn't born wasn't born of a virgin doesn't make him less divine though and that's that's been the thing that's been especially in this last year and and leading up this last month or so uh to Christmas it's kind of brought a whole new meaning to to Christmas to me because it makes me think a little bit more about what this means now do you do you think that d- does it make Jesus seem any less holy to you to know that it it might not have been that Mary might not have been. Emerging. It does. It, it doesn't
2: bother me, and I think probably it might just be sort of. And you know, I, I don't mean this in like a derogatory way or anything like that. But I think it it might just be like sort of a Catholic thing that it, it's kind of important to them. You know, because I mean, this is just anecdotally, but like you know, there's high schools called Immaculate Conception. You know what I mean? Like Catholic school. So I <laughs> I don't know if that's like just a particularly important miracle or sign or whatever you'd want to call it in Catholicism versus but it, for me personally is just sort of a you know a lapse Pentecostal. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter to me <laughs> one it, way or the other. You know, you know it's interesting because I've heard I've heard just as many Protestants um specifically discuss this issue and say because they are biblical inerrantists say, well, no, it has to be. It, it is what the Bible says it is, so it has to be. And and they don't they don't use so Marian devotion always trips people up because they think that that um it, you know in any way like the adoration of the Holy Mother is a um it is, is like this each each individual thing that is ever written about her uh must in fact be uh, because these discussions in the old church go way, way back, we know that the Catholics haven't always believed this, right? And and so it's it's interesting to me to um, to see how often uh, it, like folks, especially Protestants um, and the Pentecostals, I think in particular, rag on the Catholics about this because they are, I feel like, at the two opposite ends of the Christian spectrum, if I can <laughs> total, say that. Total, yeah. Um, at least with regards to their worship how they how they praise how they worship um how they um ob- observe yeah you know the 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 holiness of jesus and and how they how they worship but it it's um it's just as often that you hear to me i've heard just as often that protestants talk about this specific issue uh it is definitely part of the Catholic belief, and and it is definitely um, something that is understood within the catechism, which it, within the, the you know the liturgy that we know. Uh, but I don't know that it has always been so certain. Okay. And I grapple with it a, recently, especially. I've been grappling with it a lot. I've been trying to think a lot about. Um, what What is so important about that aspect of it i haven't really come to a determination i haven't really come to a conclusion about whether or not I specifically believe that detail to be true uh historically
2: yeah
1: but the the magic of the birth of Jesus has led me to love Jesus more and has led me to like um to love praise god through jesus more so either way to me it doesn't feel like a material detail right but it is right. material but like it doesn't feel like this is the thing that needs to break my faith it's just something that i that i maybe need to continue to 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 grapple with to wrestle with yeah yeah is
2: there a, a detail perhaps it's a, a historical detail like this that's might not be so cut and dry that would like that you that you kind of need for yourself to be true you know what I mean? To to Oof. like, for yeah, that's a big question. I oh man, I mean, that, because it <laughs> requires being vulnerable about maybe some doubts you have. You know what I mean? But I I, I, I I don't know that there are like any sort of uh you know deal breakers like that for me. Like you know, like I I, I I'm obviously don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture because, I mean, you could point out. You know, I think last time we were talking, maybe we talked about. Uh, the two conflicting accounts of Judas's death in the, in the gospels or whatever, you So I'm not like, you know, a hardliner about those type of things, but I, I was just curious as somebody that's, uh, you know, pretty learned and studied in this, if there's something for you that's like, I really
1: need that to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that there's any specific event or historical detail that will, um, Make me feel as though, uh, feel as though like there wasn't a divine presence in the world through Jesus at that time. Right. I I don't think that there's anything that can make me feel as though Jesus was not, uh, divine. Right. But, (laughs) and this is a big one, (laughs) I feel like the resurrection needs to have happened. Right. Right. Well, that's that, kind of the me, whole deal, you know. That's yeah, kind of that a, feels yeah. to me like the thing that that's the deal breaker for me, and and I feel like bad even saying like uh, there's a deal breaker because ultimately I shouldn't allow my faith to be sh- to be shaken like that, and and ultimately even in in the in the wild scenario where that didn't happen, I don't think that it would stop me from allowing scripture to bring me closer to God in right. in one way or another. But damn, is that a complicated question?
2: Tom. Yeah, yeah, and so I, yeah, and, I, and 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 I I think it's just interesting to, to to grapple with because, you know, I think this is something that my co host Terrence and I on our podcast have kind of touched on. You know, whenever we kind of come to stuff like this, but like, you know, there there are the, like the early Christians. I think I don't know if it's the Essenes or who it was, but like some early Christians that didn't even believe necessarily in the deity of Christ. You know what I mean? Which is like. I've always had a hard time with that a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, maybe, you know, things were just kind of getting off the ground, you know, they're probably just a couple of decades or whatever removed from, you know, the historical events that inspired this and and whatnot. But like, yeah, like I I agree with you. It's like, for me, it's like, I kind of need the resurrection to be real. Like I, I don't necessarily need like the rapture or any of that kind of stuff because I mean, that's, again, that's something that's very much, not, you know, settled. You know what I mean. Like, there's certain things I think that are still fairly apocryphal. Not in the like a sense of like you know the the extra uh, you know books that the Catholics it, that read and observe, <laughs> but like that you know that it may or may not be true, depending upon your interpretation of certain
1: uh, vagaries in the scriptures. But yeah, it's it's an interesting. Question to grapple with, like it, it is, but I mean it's it's foundational, and and that's why I think so many people hold so closely to the notion of the virgin birth, because if there if there wasn't something so deeply miraculous about Jesus's birth into the world, then uh, what was it that, you know, what was it that um, that deemed him the son of God? other than these angelic appearances, which are also kind of different in in (laughs) the gospels. And, uh, and, and it's almost like it, but if you allow, if you set up all these tripwires for yourself in faith, if you, if you like continue to say, okay, well, this has got to be it. And this has got to be it. If you, you know, and I'm the kind of person that, I don't like calling myself like a skeptic because I'm not a skeptic. Like I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm very certain about that. Right. And, uh, and I, I feel pretty strongly about, about my faith, but I, I do always want to pick apart scripture. I do always want to pull things apart and and say, okay, but, but what was the context of this and where did this come from? And, and why were they saying it this way? And what is it about Matthew that was so, that was so determined when, when Mark, uh, doesn't seem interested at at all about right. Jesus's birth, and when John's version of Jesus's creation was that Jesus was and is and always has been. Uh, that we have these two gospels that specifically mention his birth into the human body into the, like the fallen world. Uh, damn, is that ever is that ever complicated? And yeah. uh, um, I was listening to uh, a really great. A podcast called Homebrewed Christianity today, and they were talking a little bit about um, about the the story of the birth of Jesus, and they they posed a question that made me think really really hard. What if we only had one of these gospels? Uh, what if there was only one story that we had to base our faith off of? It it, it doesn't change the end, right? Right. But it changes the beginning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How do we wrestle with that? I mean, yeah. what if what if, uh, what if we just begin with Jesus uh, uh, Jesus being baptized?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, then there's y- there's
1: no virgin birth at all, <laughs> and there's no Christmas at all. There's you no know. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, it's it's. I, I think I like that version of it it's a little less <laughs> for obvious reasons cuz I you know have you know I, I had a hard time with Christmas for the longest time not for any sort of spiritual reason just this time of year and kind of got me depressed and I think it's like kind of a common thing for a lot of people but like I've kind of come back around and I think I credited that at least in some ways to being more invested in this and uh, so, yeah, that's uh, why we stick with this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's not mess with a good thing. Yeah, you're right, right. Well, I think that um, why these details to me feel so um, important to think about and important to consider and and to try to believe if I can if I can muster the belief in my in all of my doubt is, uh, is when I was growing up, Christmas was a magical time. And, and like when I was young, it was so, uh, it it wasn't just the, like waking up at 4am when my parents were still going to be sleeping for three hours and being like, Hey, did Santa come? Can I, can I get the presents now? Um, it was even, it was the one time a year Uh, really genuinely that I never really felt like I I went to church and I was like, look at all these candles, listen to this beautiful music. Everyone is so happy. Uh, You know, we're all sharing this joy with each other. Uh, You know, being raised Catholic, Mass isn't always like that. It it can be a little heavy sometimes, you know, especially uh, during Lent. But yeah it it uh it was that time of year where i felt genuinely even when i was younger like this is a season of of joy and 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 hope and yeah. uh and it's beautiful i don't want to rob that of its magic yeah yeah totally total. but this i mean in, in the story itself you're looking into matthew 2, not to stray too far from scripture i mean i'm um i'm sort of editorializing not too much uh the uh the visit of the wise men in Matthew 2 creates this picture of uh a king who is jealous of like most kings (laughs) jealous of anyone who uh could possibly threaten his power jealous of anyone who could possibly usurp uh the people's uh the people's adoration and he hears of the the this The birth of this one who has been born king of the Jews, it says in verse 2, for he saw a star when it rose. We've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, this is now into verse 3, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah but for you shall come but for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel and this is Micah 5 this is the other um, major jesus prophecy that uh, folks bring up i think typically when it comes to the prophets and you As said this is hear, hearkening back to Micah 5 you said Micah 5 yeah, yeah. and it says specifically a ruler Coming from the people uh, that is born in Bethlehem shall shepherd the people. And and of course, simultaneously, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God, as the sacrificial lamb, and as a shepherd in the New Testament, which I've always found fascinating. He's both leading and uh, being led to slaughter himself.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that till you said that, but I wonder if that's where, like, <laughs> you know, like you, you... um, Like like stuff like that, and then, like, you know, in Matthew where he says, you know, the greatest among you'll be a servant. Like that idea that, like, in order to sort of lead effectively, you also have to serve and all that, that sort of thing. I wonder if that's sort of... You know why we put such a premium on that in society today. Not, am not, not saying that's a bad thing or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, I, I wonder if like some of those sort of precepts just sort of permeate culture now that we we got from this stuff. And we might not even think about it.
1: I think that's really interesting. I mean, that one of the, I mean, the most captivating thing uh, for those uh, in the early church, I think, and and even to this day, that that really draws people towards Christianity. Is that God came to uh, be with His people? That God yeah. created a world, and uh, through all the twists and turns and difficulties and, and frustrations that God had with these people, uh, finally got to a point where God He decided, "I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna come down there." Right. You know, it's almost like He said, "Maybe I don't get it. Like maybe I need to live in this sinful body. Like maybe I need to live in sin." Not live in sin, but live in a body that is permeated with that sin. Like all humans are, we're all given over to, to desires that are self-destructive or harmful to others. And and God, it was like God needed to be a part of that world in order to save that world. That's pretty cool. Um yeah, you know, you know, as you say that, it it's kind
2: it kind of answers my earlier question to you for me. It's like what are my non negotiables and it's like, yeah, I was like I sit here thinking like I don't know, like even if but that but that but I don't know that I could, in good conscience, worship a God that didn't become flesh, and maybe that is just like a sort of just a distinctly Christian attitude, but there's something I think uh powerful in that, and I think you know, other than the resurrection, like you know if uh God was just up there, right, and just in this (laughs) ivory tower in the sky or something, and was just sort of hands on and didn't really meddle in human affairs or anything. Like I would have a much harder time, like worshiping that kind of God
1: than Jesus. Is that if that makes sense? I know that's That's a little. I mean, that's a powerful thing to say, and that is I. That's beautiful. I think that's exactly the argument for uh, not just for you know Jesus and all of his miracles and, and and all the all the incredible things that Jesus did, but in saying that that God um, God didn't owe it to us certainly, right. but it's possible that God didn't really understand us, that God didn't really um, that couldn't step inside of our minds, uh, inside the mind of His creation without coming to to suffer with us in the ways that we suffer and, yeah. and be humiliated with us in the ways that we are humiliated and, and being and being tortured with us in the ways that we're tortured and doubt uh, you know in doubt and, in and prayer, be afraid and, and, and please you know, begging yeah. for mercy <laughs> yeah Yeah, that's incredible. I just got goosebumps when you said that. I'm not even kidding. That 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 is uh, it is hard to believe to me in a God that wouldn't uh, wouldn't not just sympathize, empathize, help, but become understand and then um, and then save through through His own suffering. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Herod's pissed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Herod's really pissed. And and so Herod sends these wise men out. Uh and and the wise men go and and they just kind of visit Jesus and, and give Jesus some gifts and then like peace out.
2: Yeah. This so is a weird let's bit Let's of scripture. talk about that. Let's talk about that for a second. Because <laughs> I okay. So we all know, you know, the three wise men or the three wise kings that I've heard them described as. Maybe that's in Luke. I'm not sure. But, you know, they bring the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And what's the significance there? Like, like let's let's pick that apart a little bit. Like, is that...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Well, I was just going to say, I think, to me, it feels like the significance of this part of the story is that, um, as soon as Jesus is introduced into the world, uh, the earthly kings already start losing people to him that they see the they see the miracle, they see the star, they see what's actually happening and people are already tuned in uh, even though Jesus's ministry haven't, hasn't started and wouldn't start for another 30 years or close to 30 years that even these wise men that Herod sends, his own people, basically henchmen, uh, are are sent off to to get intel, like to do a recon mission on this Jesus baby, and and rather than uh, rather than just like do their little duty to Herod and come back and say, okay, here's what's going on, they become uh, enamored of it. Right? Yeah, they bring gifts. Yeah, they bring right. uh, they bring fragrant gifts. Uh, you know, what I'm sure were expensive gifts or at least valuable gifts yeah. at the time it's uh that's the only that's the meaning behind it that I can muster, but I'm sure there's uh, but behind the gifts themselves, I'm sure that there's metaphorical meanings that I yeah. don't understand really because I don't understand a lot of older scripture the significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh other than them just being like valuable. I think that there's probably more of a metaphorical meaning in that too, yeah uh so they uh Mary and joseph flee to egypt they feel they feel that they need to run and and in their in their flight uh, herod reacts in such a way that is um well it's a little uh might be a little bit of an overreaction he kills all of the the firstborn (laughs) male children in there every every male child under two in bethlehem is is murdered (laughs) it's like it's
2: like uh you know um I've always wondered who, like the first person, was that discovered veal. Like, oh, it's like just so much tastier to kill a baby lamb. Like, who was the first monster that came up with that? It's kind of like the same with there. It's like, like, gosh, just you. <laughs> all it's, you just had to do all the children to cover all your bases, and you still missed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's not as though they could go around knocking on the door and saying, "Okay, is the is the Christ in here?" Yeah. Like, are, do you have the Christ here or or what's going on? <laughs>
2: About seven pounds, virgin mom. Anybody seen it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and they, they, they escaped for a few years, right? But it right. didn't seem like they were gone for that long because Herod died at uh, chapter 2, verse 19. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph it, in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead, and he rose and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Basically, they they wind up in Nazareth. Uh, Jesus would be a Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, mm. and they find their basically their permanent uh, their permanent home. Of course, Jesus winds up wandering from place to place in his ministry and and gathering all kinds of interesting followers. But uh, it, it, it pivots very quickly from a extremely dramatic and kind of brutal. Uh, infanticide throughout, throughout the kingdom, uh, throughout Herod's kingdom uh, into, well, then Herod died and, and they saw an angel and then they could just go back. Yeah. yeah,
2: There, there are all sorts of, I've, I've also thought about that, like in the book of Job, where it's like all these horrible things happen to him. Then it's like, yeah, well, we're going to give you a new wife and this and that. I was like, we we'll have to do that on the on the separate <laughs> one. We'll we'll get into Job at some point. I'm down the, the road. The end of but.
1: Job is and forever will be the funniest thing to me. It shouldn't be funny because Job's Job itself as as a book in the Bible is incredible and and very instructive on how to fortify your faith, how to how to stay faithful uh, in the face of adversity and in the face of pain and suffering. But the fact that at the end it's kind of like Job like owns his friends that have been making fun of him all the time. And then he winds up with like a, like better kids and a hotter wife and like a, more <laughs> land. And it's just baffling. Like this is where, this is where we're going to wind up with the story.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Yeah. We'll have to do that with down the road. I think yes, we should. We'll save that. We'll save the we'll yeah. pocket Job for now. I, um, yeah, I, I just, I think that, There is. I wanted to do talk a little bit more about Luke, but but I know that uh, like Luke's. uh, I I did a little bit about Luke last Christmas, so I was I was trying to focus us into Matthew. But the problem with that is there is so much left, uh, and and there's there's so much that I feel like we're skipping over. And that's not true. That's not untrue of of Luke as well. Why don't we have uh, much of a child Jesus? Uh, why don't we have like a teenage mischievous che- teenage Jesus? Uh, why do those details kind of get skipped over there's There's a brief passage about um, you know Jesus learning and kind of disappearing for a couple of days, just learning from rabbis and and becoming uh, basically like a biblical expert <laughs> but yeah, now, why do you think that that part of jesus's life is largely just gone?
2: It's you know what i it's it's interesting, and I've always wondered that where it's just like, well, here's his birth, and here's what happens, and then they're in exile in Egypt for a while, and then they come back to the land of Israel, and then first three well here's here's John the Baptist going about <laughs> preaching now, and it's you know it's just like there's just like so much there that's interesting and it's like. You know, I I don't know much about like, uh, you know, like sort of the uh, the apocrypha or anything like that. But they're like, uh, you know, like the I guess you would probably because you grew up Catholic. But like, isn't aren't there accounts in some of those sort of, you know, non-canonical for I mean, for Protestants anyway, uh, books about like sort of this time that we're missing here?
1: You know, that's not. I've always wanted. Yeah, it's not really part of the apocrypha or the um, Deuterocanon, like those those books. The six, uh, I want to say six or seven books, and I should know this better. And there's more. I just got a wonderful copy. Uh, from my mother-in-law, of the books of the Ethiopian Bible that are missing from the Protestant canon. There are like 20 Ooh. that the Ethiopian Christian Church includes that that the Catholics and the Protestants don't include. Really? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's written oh, in—the uh, language is kind of hard to follow sometimes, but uh, is it, it's super uh, interesting. Is it Amharic, or is it Aramaic, or— it's. It's—I mean, it's in English. It's written in, in what looks to be kind of like a pidgin English. uh uh-huh. um, and I shouldn't even use that. Probably sounds racially insensitive or something. I'm not sure if we should, if I should say that or not. But it is. Um, it is. It, it seems like re, like a regional dialect of English is is what it's written in, and uh, it's it's really interesting. I haven't had the chance to even really dig into it. It was it was a Christmas gift, actually.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating um, to me. I'm 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 really interested in Ethiopian. Christian, just just or, or just old churches in general. You know what I yeah. mean? Like ancient churches. Yeah, it's that's fascinating.
1: That's the birth of the church. I mean, Egypt and, and and Africa is is part of where this faith grew out of. And I think a lot of white uh, Christians don't consider things that way. You know, we can we draw the the original church to Rome, right? Or um, or uh, you know, further draw the church to 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 like Germany with Luther and things like that. But there is uh. And this is where I was bringing up the, like the Deuterocanon and and or the, the Apocrypha or whatever you want to call it, actually doesn't have anything relating to Jesus specifically, in it. It is um, what people like consider to be lot you know quotation marks lost books of the Bible. Yeah. That even that even the Catholics have said oh, there's no way to to trust the veracity of this. There's no way to test this, or or it's been long disregarded, or it's too. It's too piecemeal. um, You know, the Mm -hmm. scrolls have been kind of lost. There's a great gospel of Mary Magdalene that is incredible, but it's very short.
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs)
1: yeah. uh, But it's it's very very controversial, I'd imagine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. But it's great, and it seems scriptural in a lot of places. But had they had the whole thing, they'd probably been able to to at least include it in some in some sort of like these are edifying texts. These are things that we can. That we can read and and um, and fortify our faith with, but they, you know these books are lost. You know, there's a Gospel of of Judas. There's a Gospel of of uh, Pontius Pilate. Um, yeah. You know, and and all of these things are not just cast aside by the Protestant Church, but cast aside by every Christian church. Those are the books that fascinate me the most, to be honest. You know, outside of the canonical book. I want to learn more about why it is that that book didn't get included and why we didn't try to why why we didn't try to um you know uh to expand on this text and and why we didn't try to read further into this story. There's always a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I those that, yeah, I'm so ignorant
2: about it, but I'm fascinated by that, especially. Yeah, I'd love to you have to you have to Send me a link to where I can pick up those the Ethiopian books.
1: It's it's cool so far. I haven't had the chance to read into a lot of it, but it's um, yeah. I'll probably wind up doing at least one episode on something that's missing, not just from the uh, the Catholic, uh, not just from the Protestant canon, but from the Catholic canon as well. Something that's been left behind by the uh, Western Church entirely. Because that yeah, it sounds so cool. But yeah, Mark, <clears throat> I'm just I'm sort of scrolling through now. We're saying Matthew focuses really hard on the virgin birth. Mark doesn't even bother with it. It, Mark begins with John the Baptist. Luke begins uh, not just with, you know, the birth story of Jesus, but further back, uh, the birth of John the Baptist, uh, which, you know, predates the, the birth of Jesus, right? They were they were um, cousins in Luke. They yeah. were f- they were f- essentially family. They met each other in the womb and they leapt for joy, which must have been weird and painful for their mothers. <laughs> but, yeah, honestly, it uh, it's it's fascinating to see which of these gospels to me focus and, and Luke is very funny to me. Not funny, I shouldn't say, but particularly interesting to me because they everyone is singing. They all like burst out in song. It's like the sound of music or something. They're just like constantly, (laughs) just like I'm leaping for joy. I'm shouting out loud. I'm singing. Uh, It's it's a very joyous thing, and that might have something to do with the audience that they were that that Luke's uh, gospel was kind of angled towards. Um, But yeah, I I I, I'm not even sure how we wrap up this episode. To be honest, (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking like. Well, we haven't decided anything. We probably raised more questions than we've raised answers. We, uh, yeah. you, I mean, we both, you brought up some really good points tonight. I, I, uh, I've got a lot to think about. I'm going to be thinking about this probably until next Christmas. Well, let's,
2: uh, we should, <laughs> we should, re- well, we should reconvene before next Christmas, but,
1: uh, oh, I would like that. Yeah, I'd like that. But,
2: a lot. uh, yeah, no, this is fun. It's always just fun. And I, uh, yeah, I don't get to, um, yeah, talk about these things as much as I, I'd like to. So I always appreciate you having me on. And so, yeah, anytime you you holler, I'll be here, and I
1: appreciate and, it. And if you want to join us for one of our Bible studies, too, I think it would be really fun. We have, um, like I said, all kinds of cool people with all kinds of different perspectives. and and uh, and And we often disagree, and that's what I love so much about it is, as we find common ground or, or we say, gosh, you're probably right. And I'm wrong. And, and isn't that wonderful? And aren't you blessed? And, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Imagine <laughs> if we would really have
2: been all of been blessed enough to grow up in a context where that was fine. You know what I mean? Where there was enough room in the faith to have clear cut disagreements. You know, it just, it would have, it would have saved me so much heartache and like sort of, um, you know, uh, problems I had in my spiritual development to have that. So uh, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that sounds really cool. and It's so true though. I mean,
1: it is, it's, um, the conversations that I get to have with people on this show, the kinds of people that I've met through the, you know, through the podcast and through different avenues, um, you know, relating to it. I've learned so much from so many people and, and been given so many different, Um, interesting ideas about how I can uh, best exercise my faith, understand my faith. Uh, Yeah, I can better pray. I can better worship. And all of that is such a blessing. It's like, I wish we could all just um, open our hearts a little bit more. And uh, well, I I feel like if there's any time to open your heart, it's Christmas, right? Right. Yeah, it is the
2: season. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, no, that sounds really great, and I'd, I'd, I would, i would i would love to. Yeah, who knows? That would Maybe be awesome. I, I'll become a regular fixture here and really get into it. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh,
1: I yeah, we should we should just have this be a regular thing. I
2: think. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Um, do you want to do any uh, plugs before
2: we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I mean, just you know the the usual stuff. You know, if, um, you know, folks want to, you know, listen to, you know three and sometimes four uh hillbilly slash southerners uh talk about politics in the most ridiculous left politics in the most ridiculous manner possible you can catch me at the patreon patreon.com slash trillbilly workers party and uh yeah that's about it yeah thanks so much for having me
1: i love this Absolutely. I'm a big fan of your show. I think it's great. Um, You guys are insightful and smart and honest and funny. And uh, yeah, everyone should go check it out. So this week's poem is by Emily Dickinson. Uh, The poem is called The Savior Must Have Been a Docile Gentleman. The Savior must have been a docile gentleman to come so far so cold a day for little fellow men. The road to Bethlehem, since he and I were boys, was leveled, but for that, it would be a rugged billion miles. Thanks, everybody.